Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I take it back. I'm not good. Why aren't you good? Because the stupid weather <laughs> is doing that thing where it fluctuates about 20 degrees from day to day, right? I'm cold. I'm warm. I'm cold. I'm warm. I'm, you know, and, and I, I struggle to figure out what to wear and, you know, what the temperature is going to be like tomorrow, what the temperature is going to be like in three hours. It's just spring. See, for me, it's not much of an issue um, because, Nia, uh, as you well know, because you're a former student of mine, I, I basically spend like 10 months out of the year in shorts. <laughs> so, right. Cargo yeah. shorts, cargo shorts and long sleeve shirts. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, students all the time are like, Augie, uh, do you, um, you know, upgrade, update your wardrobe? I'm like, no, not really. Um, <laughs> haven't for 30 years. <laughs> you know, it's not even that so much as it is. It's just frustrating. Um, you know, you look outside and it's sunny and it's beautiful and you step outside and the wind blows you five feet and you say, okay, never mind. I'll just go back in and put on a coat. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I, I've picked up on that in regards to going outside and going for a run or a bike ride. Right. You know, some days I'm just kind of sort of like, okay, I'm going to be stripping off layers today. And then other days I'm just kind of sort of like, yeah, I really didn't count on this headwind uh, <laughs> reducing the temperature 15 degrees. Okay. Yeah, that whole wind chill thing, it's a reality. Yep. Okay, so today we're talking still commissions. Um, for listeners who you might remember from week to week, we have been, we've decided that we're going to embark on all the commissions in the world and their reports. Um, and so we've done a couple of the biggies. We're going for another biggie today, which is the 9-11 commission. And remember that our, our, we tell you about the precipitating event, then we tell you about the members, and we tell you about the conclusions, and then we tell you about any changes that have come out of the work of the commission, or in some cases, lack of changes, right? As we have mentioned in the past, that has also been the case. So the 9-11 commission, for people who were born um, after 9-11, 9-11 used to not be a thing. 9-11 used to be 911, the number that you called if you were having an emergency. Yes. And you needed a cop, right? Yes. It wasn't uh, anything particularly special, except that that's what you learned to dial um, for, an for help. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it just so happened that the precipitating event for this uh, commission's report happened on September 11th, hence the 9 slash 11. Yes. Um, name of the event, which is interesting because that's a shorthand that uh, prior to that just didn't exist, right? And now it does in a, it's its own language that I think maybe not all commissions created languages but 9-11 certainly has its own um, its own connotation when you write it a certain way. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, and again, for 
as Nia pointed out, uh, for those born after uh, September 11th, 2001, um, uh, the event in a lot of these commissions arise because of you know particular events that occurred. Um, and it's difficult if you were born after the terrorist attacks on 9-11 to understand what that actually meant to the country um, in regards to uh, um, uh, you know the, the the nation's reputation, its psyche, the fact that you know terrorism was um, uh, on U.S. land. Okay, it wasn't just some sort of concept um, around the world in a different part of the world, right? Right. It doesn't happen over there. It happened over here. Here, right? Although we had had terrorist stuff in the United States prior to that, we even had. We even had something at the World Trade Center prior to that, what, 93? I think it's 93. But we'd also had the the Abrams building in Oklahoma. Oh we'd have, right, lots of different things. But somehow this was... This was different. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. It was more shocking. Yeah, I mean, in... in, 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 in Part in, of its in, death toll, a yeah, lot of I'm, people. A lot of people, and and also we should probably distinguish between domestic terrorism um, and, and international terrorism, or uh, um, because uh, as the uh, FBI director uh, testified um, in the last couple of weeks um, in front of the United States Congress, um, not only has domestic terrorism or the, 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 the rates of it or the, the number of incidents gone up um, in our country in recent years, but domestic terrorism um, uh, has been a phenomenon uh, for decades, centuries in the United States. Um, it, right. Just, One could argue that the revolution was, in fact, domestic an act terrorist. of domestic, domestic terrorism. terrorism. Yeah, the British I mean, would certainly say that. Well, I mean, and as I point out in a number of my classes, um, uh, the colonies who wanted a revolution were breaking the law. Right. I mean, the, the colonies were set up in explicit contracts known as charters. Um, and um, deciding to go ahead and break free from Great Britain was was not one of the clauses of the contract, <laughs> right? You can leave at any time, XOXO, Crazy George, His Majesty. But the 9-11 the, the Commission, okay, arose, like many of these commissions, because of a particular phenomenon, event, or series of events. Um, and, uh, uh, and it's hard for us to imagine that people are not familiar, but we are going to tell you anyway, because precipitating event. On 9-11, September 11th, 2001, 2001. Um, four planes were hijacked. And previously, planes had been hijacked before. Not lots and lots of planes, but enough planes that that actually, that in and of itself was not shocking. Um, you what can was point shocking? to a lot of yes. countries where planes had been taken like you're going to take me to Libya or you're going to take me to Scotland or you're going to take me somewhere and they get on a plane and they hold the host the plane hostage until they get where they're going 
yeah, they get where they're going or they want something in exchange for releasing the plane and the hostages. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, uh, one of the common transactions, if you will, is you take a plane and the hostages um, and, you know, you would not let it go until political prisoners were freed in a particular country. Right. Right. Um, or, you know, a ransom was paid. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, D.B. Cooper with his <laughs> yeah jumping uh, out of a plane with plane. his homemade parachute and a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of money. And we've never been able to, we haven't found either. <laughs> right? right. We have no okay. idea what happened with that. Okay. Um, but what was unusual was hijacking a plane and then making the plane a weapon. Right. And that was what was really unusual. Um, and, and there were particular targets. I mean, symbols of the United States that are widely recognized or were widely recognized around the world. So you're talking about um, uh, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Um, you're talking about uh, the White House, which was one of the targets, um, but the hijackers, um, in, you know, were foiled. Were foiled, right? Um, uh, um, and instead, they uh, 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 <clears throat> it, it crash landed into the Pentagon, uh, which again is a, a pretty potent symbol of the United States post World War II, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, um, uh, and then the fourth plane uh, uh, was actually taken down by some of the hostages um, in uh, South Central Pennsylvania. Um, um, uh, and the loss of life uh, there was minimized to basically um, uh, the passengers on that plane. What was it? Uh, flight 93. Right. Yeah. Flight 93. And they knew that's part of what happened was that they knew what had happened with the other planes and they knew that they were, they were going to be used in that way. And they fought for that yeah. not to be the case. Yeah, that that plane that was taken down in South Central PA was one of two planes um, uh, whose purpose um, was to be, um, um, uh, if you will, flown into the White House. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, that was the purpose of one of those planes. Um, but um, and the thing about the trade towers that I think um, when people are not thinking in terms of of targets in New York, huge numbers of investment banks and insurance companies, like the trade towers were known for exactly that, for trade. For and American, that was uh, American, American capital, capitalism. Right, yeah. Capitalism. Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I was trying to get at. Yeah. And hence the earlier attack on that, in that location was yes. for a similar reason. Part of what the the attackers on that day and on previous days hated so much is the, the capitalistic West, right? The idea of sort of this America as the capitalist standard. And so they were uh, trying to make a statement about that. Yeah. Um, um, and certainly did make a statement yeah. about that. Um, what ended up happening is that both trade towers fell, um, and those were 100-plus story buildings. So um, uh, fortunately, not as full as they could have been. Um, there's some question about whether the attackers thought that they would fall or not. There's some question about whether 
they thought there would just be damage and fire, right? And that they would be scarred, which would have been one symbol. Um, and then I think we're in some ways caught by surprise by the collapse yeah, of, of yeah. the buildings, which I'm not sure anybody thought would happen since lots and lots of buildings that size burn but don't fall. Um, and we'll get to that with conspiracy theories at the end, which is another yeah. part of what we talk about with these things. Yeah. Um, and the Pentagon was struck and uh, um, several hundred people lost their lives there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the loss of life was enormous um, for any one set of events that are tied together. And these people were all tied together. It was 19 hijackers. They had gone to various um, <laughs> plane schools, right, where they're learning to be pilots. They had, you know, and, and saying things like, oh, I don't need to learn how to land. Right. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you don't need to learn how to land? Right. So there was some, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean because back for, yeah, I mean, because with the most, investigation, they can be like, uh, I mean, because for that most of us, a warning sign. Yeah, because for most of us, you know, uh, if we decide to take that step of learning how to fly a plane, one of the first things we want to be taught is how do we land the plane? How do we how to get stop in? flying the plane? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's safely, you know, safely. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Nia, but, you know, I, I still recall, you know, when my mom put me on a bike, one of the first questions I asked my mom was, how do I stop this? Right. Right. Okay. Um, and I remember her, you know, explicitly telling me, okay, you do this with the pedals in reverse. Backwards. Right. Yeah. Okay. That, <laughs> you know, that acts as your brake. Right. You know, in the, you know, probably the first dozen or so times I was forever jamming my foot backwards, okay, to stop because I was just like, I'm not entirely sure about this, right? You know, you know, it's kind of sort of like the first time I learned how to ski. You know, one of the things I asked the instructor was, okay, so I get going down this hill. How do I stop myself other than like, you know, plowing into a tree, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Or deliberately falling over sideways. Yeah, right. And then they teach you how to tip your skis at the front. And yeah, yeah right. You know, you know. Bring but there's in a it. reason they start you on a very small hill. Yes, right. You yeah. know, bring bring those skis in at an angle. Okay. Right, gently. Uh, gently. Okay. Um, you don't want your weight too far forward or too far back. You want to go ahead and you know keep it over your hips. Right. Right. Okay. Um, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. Likewise, you know, if you're learning how to fly a plane and you're, you're paying for lessons, you know, it should probably set off warning bells when the trainees are like, yeah, we're not really worried about landing. <laughs> it, it also, yeah, it, it's also, and, and I know this is part of the conclusions that we're going to get to in a little bit, but also there is this idea of you don't learn to fly jet planes. That is not what you take lessons on. That you take lessons on Pipers and Cessnas and sort of, and that instrument panel looks completely, completely different. different. Yes. So it's amazing to me that anybody who had taken those kinds of flight lessons could break their way into a cabin and not <laughs> throw up from just looking at all the, you know, the, the entire huge panel in front of you of the massive difference between those kinds of planes. But 
Um, but yeah. that is in fact what happened. And that is, so they accessed the cockpits and we don't know whether they killed the pilots immediately or whether they simply forced the pilots out of the cockpit. We will never know the answers to those questions. Um, I don't think that even the commission, um, <clears throat> because they did turn turn their transponders off, I think. Right. Yes. So like there was this sort of question of where are they and what's happening. And the thing is, uh, from my personal perspective of that event, um, somebody we were at work and somebody called over the wall and said, hey, a plane has hit the World Trade Center. And I pictured a Cessna or a Piper because those planes not infrequently not hugely frequently, but not infrequently, run into buildings. If it's foggy, if the pilot has distress of some kind. And so apartment buildings have been known to be struck in New York and other cities. And yes. I kind of assumed that that's what we were talking about until it was made much clearer. Oh, this is a jet. This is a huge plane that has flown into a building that's significantly more damaged. Yeah. So those so are the events of the day. Yes, which then led to, um, in late November of, uh, of uh, 2002, um, and, and, and this was a little bit later. I mean, there were the, it, 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 it took a while for uh, the United States Congress and President Bush, number 43, to come to an agreement on creating a commission. Um, so, I mean, it was well over a year afterwards before the commission um, was put together and given its charge. Um, uh, and yeah, go which, ahead, Nia. Which I will, um, I'd like to point out for listeners, if they recall Augie saying the Warren Commission was put into place like three to four weeks after the death of President Kennedy. Yes. So, and the Challenger um, Commission, which we have also talked about, came rather quickly. Yeah, I mean, um, within, a, within a couple months. And okay. so a year is a long time Yeah, and, to, and, and, to negotiate this sort of thing. And, and, and it's one of these things to where, you know, many, most political scientists would argue that the, you know, kind of sort of bipartisanship that existed um, among the political branches of our federal government was beginning to fray in the early part of this millennium, but it's not as acute, um, not as severe as it is today. I mean, think about it, Nia. Um, we have the January 6th attack on the Capitol, and there is, you know, both houses of Congress and the presidency are controlled by the same political party. Um, and they're nowhere close to putting together a commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Oh, no, it would surprise me if that happens within the year. Uh, uh, Nia, I got to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if they, a commission is, is, is never, if you will, oh, created. Okay. Um, and, and the reason why is... Um, Just hyper-partisanship? It's it, hyper-partisanship. I mean... They can't even come to an agreement on the scope of the investigation, which actually was part of the delay for the 9-11 Commission. Um, because um, 
almost immediately the Bush 43 administration was concerned. And you see this with a book that was generated by the co-chairs of the 9-11 Commission. The Bush 43 administration was concerned that a 9-11 Commission uh, was going to do a hatchet job um, on the office of the president. Um, and, and you might be like, well, you know, so what? I mean, Bush, Bush 43 was uh, barely in office, you know, what, you know, nine months, less than nine months. So how much blame could he have received? Well, again, most presidents tend to protect the office of president. So whether or not the 9-11 Commission was going to be critical of Bush's predecessor, Bill Clinton, or Bush's father, who was, you know, President 41, or even the Reagan administration, um, it wasn't who occupied the office. It was the office itself that would be criticized. Moreover, okay, as we're going to discuss in a little bit more detail in just a few moments, the 9-11 Commission, okay, was extremely critical, okay, of various executive branch agencies. Um, and when you're the president, unless you are hell bent, like President Trump was, to be extremely critical of all things Washington, D.C., what you don't want as your, pre you know, if you're president, is to have major law enforcement and intelligence gathering agencies, okay, to basically be extremely criticized in a very public report, right? Well, and the executive branch wants to protect itself. Yes. Right. Like, I mean, if you're talking about executive branch agencies, of course, the president would want to protect those. That's his turf. That's his turf. These are people that if they do their job, the president is going to look like they have done their job. Right. right. Um, so um, you also get the that's the year for people who don't remember. That's the election that was undecided for quite a long time. Yes. Um, because um, of Florida, we're looking at you. Um, <laughs> because of, of questions about who won Florida between um, uh, Vice President, then Vice President Gore and President, then later President Bush, um, I guess then Governor Bush, right? Yep. So that whole question meant that um, George Bush did not have the G George Bush Jr. 43 did not have as much of a transition time. Did not have as much of a transition time. Um, his uh, uh, public approval uh, wasn't as high as you typically see with a you know a newly elected president. Um, I mean, there were, there were a all, lot of factors. Yeah, there, yeah, there were a lot of negatives, um, and additionally. One of the reasons for the delay was that the two first candidates to chair the commission both had to drop out because of conflict of interest. Um, uh, at one point, Henry Kissinger, uh, former Secretary of State, uh, former National Security Council uh, for Presidents Nixon and Ford, was supposed to chair. Um, and uh, 
and uh, former uh, U.S. Senator George Mitchell, um, uh, a Democrat uh, from, I believe, the state of Maine, uh, were both supposed to chair or be co-chairs of the commission, but both had to step down because of conflicts of interest. Okay, so you ended up with two chairs um, who were probably did not have as much, how can I put this, gravitas, okay, um, a, a, as chairs as you would have expected. I'm not um, trying to be ugly, but second string. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, the, the uh, nominal chair was uh, uh, Tom Keene, former Republican governor of New Jersey, um, and the vice chair was Lee Hamilton, um, who was uh, a, a Democrat, and he was a former uh, member of the House of Representative representatives from the state of Indiana. Okay, now both of these guys were perfectly good public servants. But to chair a commission that was going to explore how, okay, uh, international terrorism visited the shores of the United States, okay, um, it raised some eyebrows. Yeah, it, it's not surprising to me that they would have wanted Kissinger. Yeah. Um, I mean, just it, for sheer name recognition alone. I mean, and, and you're talking in with George Mitchell. I mean, you're talking about uh, the former senator who negotiated uh, the peace accords between the Irish Republican Army and Great Britain. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. You're talking about the guy uh, uh, who uh, the Mitchell report who went ahead and identified steroid use in Major League Baseball, right? Um, and, 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 and some of you who are like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, to, to actually lead an investigation where the notoriously closed lip Major League Baseball, where both owners and players came clean about how rampant steroid use was in the 1990s. I mean, this is, the, this is a guy who was known for getting groups who wouldn't normally work together work together right so the fact that both of them dropped out raised eyebrows almost immediately about the 9-11 commission um, otherwise the 9-11 commission uh, had an equal number of democrats and republicans um, um, some of the names you know pretty well known um, uh, max cleland uh, was a democratic senator uh, from georgia who, interestingly enough, he actually resigned from the commission because he thought that the commission um, was um, going to provide uh, cover for the White House. <laughs> um, which leads, which will lead us to partial conspiracy theory in a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, but you had Slade Gordon. He was a senator from Washington. Bob Kerry. Um, he was a former U.S. senator. Um, he was a Democrat. Um, John Lehman, uh, he was a former secretary of the Navy. Um, I mean, so you had some big names. What was really impressive about the commission um, was the staff. Um, uh, 
Uh, yeah, Phil Zellico, uh, who is the executive director. Um, I mean, Dan Marcus, well-known uh, government attorney. Um, uh, it was a huge staff. I mean, Nia, I don't know if you recognize this, the number of times you have read, you know, and have had to read the, <laughs> by the way, uh, Nia in a former life got her master's degree in Homeland Security from VCU. And by the by, <laughs> one of the first things you read is the 9-11 commission in, in the 101 class. Yes. Hats off to hats off to James Keck. Yes. Um, uh, our, who our, demands our, that students read huge chunks of it. And then other professors in the program who have you read different chunks of it because they're trying to get at questions. Um, what you were talking about, questions of the how did the agencies work together or more importantly, not work together, work together. Yes. How, how information was not shared. Um, uh, a huge part of the problem with the report is or, or that the report talks about. I'm sorry, can we go ahead and. Yeah, let's get into the details of the report. Yep. A, a huge part of the what they keep talking about is that there was not enough coordination between the various uh, intelligence agencies and part of that is is sort of um protecting their territory kind of right like yeah we do correct. this thing and you do that thing and you stay out of our business and we'll stay out of yours but the problem with that is that then you get these things that cross like this this crossed cia and fbi and the and the other intelligence the state intelligence agency and like all these different agencies yeah. and they were not cross communicating the way they would now with a threat yeah. like that yeah in the language of bureaucratic politics what nia is describing is bureaucratic turf wars bureaucratic turf wars right and some of these turf wars had been ongoing for decades right you know the cia the central intelligence agency um uh you know arose um it, it's uh, it's um, its predecessor, its, its um, uh, agency uh, was the, you know, OSS during World War II, right? Okay, the Central Intelligence Agency um, had a paramount role in the nation's uh, fight, uh, Cold War fight, right? Um, yeah, go and, ahead. And as a brief side note for people who don't know what the scope of those two agencies, FBI and CIA, CIA is outward facing, Right, it's external to the United States. FBI is inward facing; it is internal to the United States. Yeah, so theoretically, and, they have two very different missions. Yes, and in their authorizing statutes, make it very clear that the CIA has next to no domestic law enforcement authority, which the FBI historically, as you know like to remind the I was CIA say, has pointed out to the CIA quite often excuse you you don't get to do that that's us and, and likewise the FBI um, is is by and large limited to domestic law enforcement which the CIA the State <laughs> Department and the Department of Defense okay in no uncertain terms okay have historically liked to remind the FBI, you know, you stay in your lane, we'll stay in ours. Right. The problem is, as the 9-11 Commission report made it very clear, is first, 
both the CIA and the FBI had plenty of intelligence to suggest that terrorist attacks were being planned on U.S. soil. But beyond the fact that they didn't recognize the scope of the threat, they didn't share the information that they had, okay, with other federal agencies. Right. Okay. And again, that's very reflective of what bureaucratic, you know, uh, politics literature describes as turf wars, right? And some of you might be, who are listening, might be thinking, well, they're all part of the national government. Don't they want the government to succeed? Well, I mean, I'll just give you one reason why turf wars occur. If you're the FBI and you've been scratching and clawing for years, okay, to get scarce resources from the Congress, do you want to go ahead and indicate to the Congress that whatever information you gain because of domestic law enforcement investigations, okay, should be or could be shared with other agencies? No, you want to go ahead and highlight, we are the best at doing X. And this is the reason why we should get more money than those, you know, jackals in the CIA, or those, you know, those yahoos in the State Department or the Department of Defense, right? Right. It's it's the turf is hugely about personnel and money, right? You want to protect your personnel and you want your personnel budget and you want to protect your budget, your money budget, your spending budget. And and so, but the problem with that is that when you get something that crosses a bunch of lanes, like the hijackers came to the United States in order to learn how to fly planes. So now you have an external threat that is now also an internal threat. Like there's all these different, if they had cross communicated, there might have been um, some way to head this off or thwart the plan. Um, And can I drop the phrase now? Yeah. Um, So the, one of the phrases from the report talks about a failure of imagination that what the United States had was a failure of imagination at a, at a bunch of different levels that people would come here, that they would do this, that they would use planes as weapons, right? Like a lot of these, a a lot of the complaint that came out of the commission report is that, um, because there were not a bunch of different viewpoints looking at this and communicating together as a group, they failed to see what could happen. Yeah, and and and, and, and this is where, I mean, it's a, it, it's an infamous quote, right? I mean, you know, you know, you heard it a number of times in in your Homeland Security coursework, Nia. Um, you know. Uh, it's studied in public policy and administration courses. Uh, My colleague, Bill Newman, um, um, who teaches uh, uh, an undergraduate course in terrorism, you know, he mentions it. It was a stinging indictment of a number of agencies within the executive branch, right? Um, I mean, and it wasn't just CIA and the FBI, right? Uh, the report, as Nia mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, 
detailed in excruciating detail. Okay. I know that was redundant. Detailed in excruciating <laughs> detail. Chronicled in excruciating detail. Okay. How the planning and the execution of the Al-Qaeda attacks on 9-11, right? That it wasn't just the CIA and the FBI who ignored, if you will, unusual behavior. Oh. It was the State Department, okay? Uh, the fact that the State Department did not take into account how a number of foreign nations were either allowing or openly encouraging Al-Qaeda cells to flourish within their jurisdictions, right? Um, uh, that the Department of Defense, when they would receive uh, summaries of, uh, of field reports from State Department officials, and by the way, pretty much every American em embassy around the world has uh, uh, military officials stationed there, you know, either to protect the embassy, but frequently they act as liaisons. And the Department of Defense, okay, ignored, okay, what little information State Department's, okay, uh, representatives were generating, right? Okay, so this wasn't a failure of imagination just with the CIA, okay, um, or the FBI, okay? This was a pretty stinging indictment of the State Department, the Department of Defense, uh, the National Security Council, which, by the way, um, is chaired by the National Security Advisor, who reports directly to the president. Right, was that Clark. At that point, um, I think it was. You're talking about anyway. uh, uh, Wendell Clark. No, uh, hang on. Richard Clark. Oh, Richard Clark. Dick Clark. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. I think he was the coordinator. Oh, wait. No, he might have been the result. Oh, he might have been the result. Okay. He might have been the result. I may be mixing those up in time. Sorry. Yep. Because the other thing, too, was simple things like airport security. I know that it's impossible for people to believe that there was a time when you could take a box cutter on a plane or you could take a gun on a plane or you could take all kinds of stuff, but you used to be able to do that. And so all of these people were able to get on planes with weapons. That's another, you know, yeah, the, and, and that's the, another uh, thing that for me is a, is a little um, somewhat sad in the sense that, that, uh, people born after 9-11 will never know what it's like to run onto a plane at the last possible moment, right? Like like I did in college sprinting that first time to try to make sure I made the plane. Um, that doesn't happen anymore because the, the security that you now have to go through is much more um, invasive. But that's part of the part of well, I also mean, what came out of it. But that was okay. another one of the failures was... And the failure on the part of the people who trained these pilots whoa, 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 not whoa, whoa, whoa. to recognize. Hold, hold on. The, uh, you can't go ahead and mention running. Okay. Running through an airport to catch a plane without me offering two comments. One. Okay. Okay. Nia is referencing uh, a well-known 
uh, what was it? Avis rental car commercial. Oh my goodness, O.J. Okay. Simpson. With O.J. Simpson. Okay. Two airports. That's right. Okay. Um, I mean, you, you want to talk about a, a shared, okay, commercial of, um, uh, advertisement for our generation. Right. Okay. And some of you all are like, what is he talking about? You got to look it up on YouTube. You got to look it up on Google. OJ Simpson running through an airport, right? This is before OJ Simpson, okay, was, was accused of murder, was accused of murder, etc. Okay. <laughs> but the other thing is, okay, you're talking to uh, Nia, you mentioned uh, how the United States uh, was notably lax in airport security before the 9-11 attacks, right? Um, uh, for any of you listeners who were born and raised in Europe, okay, Europeans never understood why Americans still make a big deal about the security, enhanced security at airports post 9-11. Right. When for pretty much the last half century in Europe, okay, um, they have had enhanced security at airports. In okay. part because they had significantly more terrorism. Yes. More terrorism, <laughs> um, more hijacking of airplanes, okay? And culturally, their notion of privacy is different right. than the American notion of privacy and individual liberty, right? I mean, many European constitutions actually have a section on your obligations as an individual to the state, to the collective, right. whereas in the United States, okay, we don't have such a section, right? Right. So in this, fact, I, we have the opposite. If a police officer asks if he can search you, yeah, you okay. can say no. Yeah, we can say no. And I'm not entirely certain that in most countries in Europe, you can say no. Say no, right? I mean, in, 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 you know, it, it, it's what uh, scholar Marianne Glendon refers to as rights talk. You know, in the United States, we oftentimes start sentences with, I have a right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have a right to do X, right? You know, before we started recording this episode this morning, you know, me and I were talking about, you know, the right to speed on, uh, on an interstate, right? right? There's no such right in the U.S. Constitution. But for many Americans, including me and I at various parts of uh, points in our life, okay, have thought, well, you know, hey, I'm a good driver and I drive better when I speed. So I must have a right, okay, to speed on an interstate. I thought that when I was younger, then I got a ticket. Now yeah, I don't right. need that anymore. Yeah. But, okay. But yeah. back to the 9-11 commission report. Okay. So what, what was noteworthy was um, uh, um, uh, the extent to which the commission um, did identify um, that there was plenty of evidence to suggest the United States was, was being targeted. But because of turf battles, because of, you know, inter, and when I say inter, I mean across agency politics, um, um, agencies who had very narrow, if you will, conceptions of their missions. I mean, you mentioned the FAA the Federal Aviation Administration, okay? The FAA got taken to task 
okay, for why they had pilot training schools, okay, that did not investigate potential pilots ahead of time, okay, who right. might be, okay, and again, some of you might be like, why would you think that somebody who you're training on a Saturday morning is a potential terrorist? On the other hand, the FAA has broad authority to issue, you know, advisories to, okay, anybody who flies a plane, anybody who teaches somebody to fly a plane, right? Right. And part of that goes back to the failure of imagination thing. It just didn't occur to people because pilots generally don't want to kill the people in the plane, the plane. and they generally don't want to crash the plane. Yes. Like pilots, the first thing pilots learn is you are you are responsible for X number of souls on board, and that's how it's referred to. Yes. It's not referred as people, it's referred as souls, right? So it's almost a spiritual or, or mystical kind of approach to the people in behind you in the plane. And frankly, the plane's worth a lot of money, money. right? If yes. you bring it back dinged up, it's not like if you got it scratched in the parking lot at, you know, JFK, it, that's not how that works. Any damage to a plane is millions and millions of dollars worth of lost airtime and fixing the plane and whatever. So like they're hypersensitive to not damaging the plane and not losing the souls on board. That's right. So, so the idea that anybody would would actually train in order to be the opposite of that. Yeah, to use a plane as a not, weapon. Yeah, right, right. Was okay. not part of what people were thinking at the time, and that's part of what they're talking about when they're talking about that failure of imagination at a bunch of different levels. That 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 happened. Now, Nia, uh, can we? Can we talk about conspiracy theories yet? Well, before we get to conspiracy theories, okay. let's just briefly talk about what significant changes occurred because of the 9-11 uh, report, okay? And probably the biggest one, um, and I, th I think there's two, re two really big ones. Uh, the first one was the creation of the Director of National Intelligence, okay? Um, uh, the acronym is, of course, there's an acronym because it, it's a government office. Right. Um, ODNI, okay? The Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Right? ODNI, ODNI. Yes, yes, right? Yes, but the DNI is new. Yes. Well, new at that time. New at that time. And basically, um, it was created uh, to be in charge, to coordinate all of the federal government's intelligence gathering efforts. So no longer could the CIA say to the Department of Defense, sorry, you've not been read into viewing our intelligence, right? right? The State Department can no longer go ahead and tell domestic agencies, sorry, you guys are, you know, domestic law enforcement weenies, and we handle the rest of the world, so shut up, right? right. You know, they can't say that anymore, right? Right. And if okay. they're caught doing that, there will be consequences. consequences. Yeah, there will be consequences. The other big change, okay, is um, we have a National Counterterrorism Center. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, one of our colleagues, 
um, uh, who teaches um, in the um, Homeland Security Department at uh, VCU, uh, uh, Marine uh, Maslow Benway, uh, typically takes her students um, just up 95 um, to the uh, 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 Counterterrorism Center, okay? Um, and uh, it was designed to go ahead and coordinate the federal government's response to um, and to help mitigate potential, potential um, uh, terrorism events. And those were two big ones. I would argue that the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, that would was be the other, other one. Would yeah, be that the was, third. Yeah, that was the other one. Sort of. That's the, and it's not that DHS. Um, I mean. DHS existed in a bunch of different agencies before in the sense that like there were a bunch of agencies and then they all got reorganized into the Department of Homeland Security. So um, FEMA, which used to be independent, is now under there. There's a bunch of other things that are right. TSA is under there, which used to be independent. Wait, no, TSA is trans. Ah. I can't remember where they got reorganized in and then reorganized out. But anyway, that. No, it, it, it's part of Homeland Security. TSA is. Yeah. So um, all of that reorganization happened afterwards under the theory that there needed to be a secretary level position that dealt with all of these different response agencies and prep agencies that weren't intelligence agencies. That's right. So, I mean, the Department of Homeland Security. Um, has underneath it um, uh, a number of agencies that either used to be independent, like FEMA, um, or parts of other departments. So uh, uh, immigration um, is part of uh, yep. Homeland Security, nice. um, but it was merged with Customs Enforcement, which used to be a standalone agency. So, now, so they, now you get ICE. You get ICE. Uh, Border Patrol, okay, part of Homeland Security. Um, um, so, uh, uh, in the Department of Homeland Security, I mean, and again, it, uh, it, it took a couple years uh, to create that department, um, um, but it was a, uh, one of the more significant outcomes of the 9-11 Commission. You want to talk about a sprawling agency. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, DHS it, it, is, like, if somebody says to you, you know, what there's this tiny agency I've never heard of. It's the agency of Bob's your uncle. You can say, ah, it's probably in DHS. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Because okay. it's just a huge, the, the level of responsibilities that they have are huge. There, there, there's two more things I want to cover before the conspiracies. First, by many accounts, the 9-11 Commission report um, was complimented because of how well written it was. Okay. It does um, read very easily for the regular human. Yes, um, and, and, and it was fairly obvious that the staff put a lot of time in creating a narrative that lay people could follow, okay? Right. Um, uh, so there is that. Um, there have been a number of criticisms which will then flow into conspiracies, okay? And I'm just going to mention about four or five uh, criticisms. First, some of the information that found its way into the commission report 
was gained through enhanced interrogation, otherwise known as torture. Okay, and that was one of the criticisms of the commission report. Um, another criticism, okay, um, a number of federal agencies were uncooperative with the commission. Or straight up lied. Yes. NORAD. CIA, I'm looking at you. Yeah, CIA lied, um, and that's been well chronicled. Uh, the FBI did not want to cooperate whatsoever. Okay. NORAD, and for our um, uh, frequent uh, uh, listeners, you know of NORAD because um, that's the agency that tracks, you know, all Mr. Claus flights. and yeah, his, yeah, and, and his travels. <laughs> okay. His, uh, his Yuletide travels. NORAD and FAA evidence was cleared okay, by the White House before it was presented to the commission. Uh, the commission was also uh, criticized because its scope was limited, uh, which led to the claim that it was set up to fail, which interestingly enough, the co-chairs, Governor Keene and Representative Hamilton, actually made that claim in a book, okay, they wrote after the 9-11 Commission report was submitted. And the last criticism, and it's one that's still hanging around today, the Commission took it easy on Saudi Arabia, even though most of the terrorists were Saudis. 15 of the 19. 15 of the 19, okay. Um, and, um, and, and again, that's still hanging around with us guys. Um, you know, um, see what the Biden administration decided, what, about a week ago? Um, right. About, uh, Mr. Khashoggi's death. Yes. Uh, um, dismemberment um, and death. Not, I mean, that was awful. Um, right? that uh, there, uh, that the, uh, U.S. Uh, government has evidence uh, that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia ordered the assassination uh, of this journalist. Um, Who was uh, living in the United States. States but the Biden administration has uh, decided not to do anything um, because Saudi Arabia is one of the United States prime allies in the Middle East. Yep. Right. And we have bases all over the peninsula. I mean, there's there's a lot of politics involved in that. I think that almost all of the conspiracy theories that rise out of the 9-11 Commission come out of the idea of politics and the idea that one, you know, the whole inside job theory of President Bush allowed this to happen so he would have an excuse to go into Iraq and, and you know, topple Saddam Hussein's government and all that other kind of stuff. I'm not entirely certain the United States has ever needed an excuse to topple a government. So, I mean, we yeah. just kind of, sometimes we just say, hey, we're going to knock over that government. And we do. And, you know, I mean, like we've had a history of doing that. So, I mean, Nia, perhaps you and I have become jaded because of all the conversations we've had, okay, with various political science colleagues who teach international relations, 
and Lord knows I've probably had many more than you have, okay? But after listening to them talk for years, I'm not entirely sure we need, we've ever, particularly post-World War II, we've ever needed a reason, right? I mean, sometimes the reasons are as broad and as opaque as this would be good for fighting the Cold War. Right. Or, or, you know, this would be good for um, uh, security of the nation's energy supply. Okay. Or, you know, we just don't like what they're going to do to capitalism, whatever that, you know, that means. Right. Okay. Okay. So that conspiracy theory has a level of specificity. Okay. That I'm skeptical of. Right. Okay. And whatever your political persuasion, the idea that you believe that George Bush would allow the senseless death of thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. That's just not I mean, I don't I, I don't care what you think about him as a person, like as far as a politician is concerned, but as a human, that's a that's a difficult pill to swallow. Okay, so I think what, if it's okay with you, Augie, we'll wrap up part one here, and we'll start with our um, next part, or the, sorry, the rest of the 9-11 Commission for our next episode. Is that okay with you? Well, that sounds great, because uh, quite obviously, we're not done talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.